All right, Daniel, how's it going? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Ed? Very good. Yep. I completely forgot England were playing this morning. Are they still winning as we're recording? They are winning 2-0 as we speak, yes. It right. turns out that Bakai Saka might be quite good at football. It's kind of annoying, isn't it? He's he's quite good. He's he's one I saw him having to watch Emery's Arsenal play in the Europa League for work and the group stages of that season. And you can see that he was 17 then. And it's weird because I'd heard of Smith Rowe and I'd heard of Fuller and Balogun and I hadn't really heard of him. And then I watched them and I thought, why have I heard of the others? Right. Because this kid has clearly got it. But even then, I think I probably didn't realise how good he could be. I, I thought I thought that he's going to be a player. He's going to be a player who's good enough to play for the best teams. I didn't think he was going to go and be one of the best players in the world. Yeah. But he, I'm, he, now, I'm now be, beginning to revise that. It's interesting because his numbers weren't. Like he wasn't putting up the goals and the assists and the chance creation and all that kind of stuff you expect a, a sort of modern wide inside forward, which I guess is what he is, to do early in his career. And I was like, hmm, yeah, a lot of chatter about this guy who looks nice, especially when he's running at players. And now he is, and that's rather annoying. So what he's got is he's got he's got obviously ludicrous football intelligence if you think about yeah. the fact that he's played on the left wing the right wing and at left back and if Arsenal had bought Rafinha this last summer as they wanted to I think the plan might have been to play him on the right hand side of the midfield three right yeah because why they not he's clearly good enough to get into the team they won't sign in Rafinha for all that money to put him on the bench so yeah he has brilliant football intelligence but what he's also got is he's sort of developed a bit more robustness so that even though he doesn't look like a big lad, feels like he's got strength in the right places. So when he gets buffeted, he's able to stay on his feet and he's able to use his ass to buffet opponents as well. He's really good at sucking opponents in, getting them too close, spinning and getting away. Yeah. And as you say, the numbers with attacking players, it will almost always come down to the numbers in the end. And he's starting to put those up now. I mean, I always think about that when I think about players who play as a number 10. I'll always ultimately, in my mind, compare them to Wayne Rooney, Mm -hmm. who was putting in numbers and a shift to play that position. And just if you don't do that, you can't really play there. Well, while we're on the subject of England, a couple of interesting like things came out this week. Gareth Southgate, not very subtle in complaining about Marcus Rashford never being fit for the England team, which... I thought really took the biscuit given that Rashford delayed a shoulder operation to be with the England squad at the Euros and still not get picked. Anyway, a little bit rich from Southgate there. It's also, what do you want these players to do? Marcus Rashford is probably, after Bruno Fernandes, maybe the busiest player in world football. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's, just, he's had quite a few nasty injuries in his career. He had a dreadful season that was in part affected by injury. He is not required for these games. And when he was fit and banging them in, as you point out, he wasn't getting picked anyway yeah. in the summer. He got, well, how many, how many, yeah, five minutes at the end of that France game. Yeah, and he went into that Euros in great form and he came out, oh, sorry, the World Cup in great form and came out in even better form, having not played at all. So, very odd. Yeah, it's, it's the thing with Southgate. This has been a problem with Southgate all the way through. Although less so now, but especially in the Euros and the World Cup before it, it doesn't matter if you've got a good squad, if you're too shit scared to use it. And 
particularly in the Euros, he would not sub Kane or Sterling. So it doesn't really matter who's on the bench because you're not going to use them. And then you sure. use that advantage, you lose that advantage of the squad strength. So I don't think Rashford owes Southgate or England anything. No, he doesn't. And, he definitely doesn't. So. And Southgate, I know that he wants all the players available. He wants them to set up a team. But ultimately, he needs Marcus Rashford fit when England go to the Euros in two years' time. And one of the ways, one of the best ways of making sure that happens is making sure he's not overplayed. And because of the way things are for United, it's going to have to be England that gives way. And Southgate wants to cut his nose off to spite his face. Then that's up, that's up to him. But it wouldn't make a lot of sense because Rashford should be getting into a stint. Then Harry Maguire came out and said, I shouldn't have to prove anything at this level. I've played 200 times for Manchester United and 50 times for England. Which I thought, I looked at that and I was like, every single word of that is wrong, Harry. <laughs> every single one. <laughs> I felt, uh, I mean, I know what you mean. And it does exactly look like, I think you said this on Twitter, it's the opposite of the right answer. I sort of wondered if it was a clumsily expressed way of saying people are doubting his ability to compete at this level and the evidence shows that that isn't true rather than I don't have anything to prove every time I pull on the shirt, which is what he should have said. But I think that thing that perhaps we want him to have said is an answer to a slightly different question to the one he was being asked. So I do have some sympathy with Big H for that. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, he's not exactly covered himself in glory in that Italy game. Although, he did take one for the team by helping Luke Shaw get a red card and therefore be suspended (laughs) for this. Yeah, exactly. Give Phil the weekend off, which was uh, very useful. Uh, There's actually very few United players in this squad. Now, hopefully a few. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Casemiro was captaining Brazil. I didn't check out their results actually he scored he scored nice they lost lost to Morocco and he scored but by the that's right that's right I did actually he scored twice for Scotland he did yeah and Zarbitz scored twice for Austria very nice free kick one of them was very good yep he's he's fulfilling every hipster dream isn't he ponytail tash banging one in from 35 yards out very good. Well, we've sort of got this nice coterie of goal-scoring and field players who aren't good enough, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe cram them all into the side, they'll be good enough together. Yeah, who have some attributes, but insufficient attributes at the same time, I think. That would be that would be my guess. And I I was thinking, would you keep either Veghorst or Zarbitzer? No, because I think United need an upgrade there, and I'm not even sure he's much of an impact sub if he was coming on to be impactful as a sub sub is a maybe i mean it looks tidy enough i guess it depends on on the price i mean because there will be limited budget whatever happens really and then what happened what's happening at bayern now that nagelsman has been brutally sacked by twitter and and tuchel been appointed so he might like sabitzer who knows this is great news for us though that because i mean i i couldn't convince myself that Nagelsmann's Bayern were really likely to be City. And, I mean, maybe Tuchel's won't either, but I feel like they've got a much better chance now than they did before. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I mean, they won 8 out of 8 in the Champions League this season, so all their group games and beat Paris Saint-Germain twice. And they're probably going to win the Bundesliga, although obviously it's it's tight. Then 
they I don't know they're playing Dortmund today maybe have even played as we're speaking I'm, I'm not I haven't checked that how can that be today how can that be today no next week sorry I lie I lie yeah. you're right Dortmund next week I knew it was coming out there I watched uh, I watched Bayern's home game against Barcelona in the Champions League and they could have been two or three goals down at half time right and I've also seen I've seen them destroy some teams in the Bundesliga but I've also seen them look pretty abject and that that's exactly why I think Nagelsmann's been fired because there are enough good players in that squad so that you win almost all the games anyway. But actually, a proper manager, not a proper manager, sorry, a better manager would be getting more out of this team. And it's always felt with Nagelsmann, and maybe I'm just being a dick because I think his rigs are crap. But (laughs) it always feels like he's always trying to he's always trying to be clever. And when you have the best team, the best squad, you don't need to do that. You just got to keep the best players playing in their best positions. Mm. And it doesn't need to be as twiddly and as fiddly as he's made it when I've seen them. No, that that may well be true. I mean, I think the interesting thing is doing it in March with a big quarterfinal Champions League coming up and the running in the Bundesliga. And it seems that just the fact that maybe Spurs are sniffing around Tuchel has accelerated whatever plans they might have had for the summer. I mean, it's not like Bayern really to to dump a young manager or a longer-term manager for a someone who has rarely stayed anywhere more than a couple of years. But but they did it. So hopefully it's the right decision. As The only thing I actually care about when it comes to Bayern is that they beat City, obviously. They do still have that, that United, you know, the centre-forward situation. Yeah. Where you just put a good one in that team and it would just make so much of a difference to everything that's going on around them. But they... They do, they do have the players to beat City, but I'd still, I'm not sure the defence is quite good enough, particularly without a proper goal scorer. But if I play really, really well over two legs, then they've got a good chance. Yeah, I mean, replacing Lewandowski with Chupo Moting is not always the recipe for success, is it? All right. I guess that's a nonsense international window out of the way. United, have, it, have we moved on with the bidding for the... The club, I, I, I do find it really funny that the coverage of this is like it's the transfer window. So it's chaos at United with bids cut. It's not really how multi-billion dollar M&A works. Chaos. I mean, it just takes off. But uh, that's how it was reported. And we had the kind of transfer deadline day build up. I'm surprised it didn't have a clock on Sky Sports counting down to the 9pm deadline. But we, we finally got some bids in, it seems. From Ratcliffe, second bids that is Qatar, and it looks like there are at least Elliott management on the debt side of things, but probably Oakland and Aris too. It's been reported that they haven't come out publicly said anything. It's all the kind of same what one might call structured capital, so it's basically debt posing as equity. Thoughts on where we are at the moment? It just doesn't seem like there's a good outcome here. Nor does it seem like the least bad outcome will be one that is available to us. I still don't totally trust that the Glazers really want to sell. And there's always that we wonder if they're just trying to find out what the price would be if they did want to sell. But then they must be spending a fair bit of what our money on, on all this whole thing anyhow. Yeah, although it would be a lot more if they do sell because rain will be on a percentage of the the sale price or on the the consultancy fees which will be 
not much but yeah so it it doesn't i mean it doesn't seem like it's just you just always assume the state will be able to outbid anyone and if anyone is in hock with the glazers it will be one of the venture capitalists which means that there are just those two kinds of advantage one is paying more money and one is some kind of arrangement that's beneficial to the glazers and if I guess we think that Radcliffe is the least horrendous option. He doesn't have either of those two aspects in his corner. So it does feel like it's going to be something dreadful. Yeah, I think if you read between the lines of the various reporting and it's for corporate M&A, very leaky. Because both the Qataris and Radcliffe are doing this, at least partially for PR reasons. So read between the lines, it seems like the Qataris are although they know that they can outbid anyone because it's a state bid, despite what is still being reported in mainstream media circles. They are trying not to deliberately overbid straight away to give it the edifice of a private sector bid and or later down the line when when they come to spend billions in the transfer market to to not get absolutely screwed by everyone. So we'll see on them. Radcliffe, I mean, they've got the money, right? Ineos is a 50 million, 50 billion euro a year company. And he owns, depending on which part of the group you think about, about a third of it. So he's not, he's got the cash. He just doesn't want to liquidate it all. I think there's, as we talked about on a previous pod, there's some misunderstanding about the role that JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs will play in structuring some of that debt. It's just cheaper than liquidating his assets elsewhere. So he has got the money, but he's always been a value investor who hasn't overbid for stuff. So I suspect he would just walk away if it got to a point where he thought it wasn't value anymore. And the others, it's the worst case scenario, honestly. Elliot or or any of the others, depending how structured, I was, I was having a chat with a friend of the show, Eugene Wong on Twitter about like exactly what that would look like, whether it's partly part float of some of the money of some of the equity which they've done a lot the glazers or or how exactly that would be structured almost certainly not as pure equity with Elliot I don't think so you might be looking at tens of millions of pounds of payments every year with that kind of with that kind of deal so yeah more debt and more glazers it's I I, it doesn't Where I buy his argument, he said uh, it doesn't work for the other glazers. And it's true, it doesn't work for the other glazers. They probably wouldn't get a full buy. And it it might work for Joel and Avram if United can, like, release more revenue. But they haven't managed to do that to date. So I think the thing about Qatar that I find troubling, and I said this on previous pods too, but I don't feel like anyone else is really saying it. So I'm going to say it again, is that their own... PSG, let's say they own United as well. If you want the European Super League, you've got two clubs on board already. You know other clubs who would definitely want in. And it just feels like if you own Man United and Paris, what is to stop you buying other super clubs? And then it feels like we're in the process of control of football moving from from club sorry from governing bodies to clubs and the clubs will then decide what happens and if the clubs are owned by despotic states then they're going to be used to serve the purpose of those despotic states and i don't see what is to stop Qatar coming for anything if they're allowed to own psg and united 
Well, quite. I, maybe, maybe that is maybe maybe that isn't the plan. Maybe that's not the plan. Yeah. Maybe the plan is just to buy United. I'm not saying I know what the plan is. What I'm saying, I guess, is that the possibility would then exist sure. for them to buy pretty much anything. And given that they've got state wealth supporting it, why would they not fancy controlling European fucking football? Well, and it's not just Qatar as a as a state project. It's the mix of Qatar, Saudi. Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Bahrain, not as rich, but maybe they want to get in the game. Other despotic states, perhaps, who might want to get into that. And then the networks of of multi-club ownership models, whether it's through private equity. And there are, I think the report was out a couple of weeks ago, there's something like 80 clubs across Europe who are part of some kind of multi-club ownership group. And that goes all the way from City Football Group obviously have, I don't know what, 11 clubs are part of the stable now and Red Bull uh, through to private equity who have have parts of different clubs. And we know who started this, by the way. United did it in Antwerp at the, um, the ter- around the turn of the century. Yeah, I mean, although that was informal rather than being like a formal ownership group. But yeah, sure, United are partly at fault for many of the ills of modern football. You know, first to commercialise, first to commercialise by selling every single part of the sponsorship to, to to different companies across different regions and, and everyone's kind of copied the models. So, sure. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it really does change the balance of European football if it's there are multi-club ownership groups and or states involved with their different kind of goals here. I mean, I think the only thing we don't know, other than we're moving to a world of networks, playing networks, is does it work if you don't own super clubs? Right. So there is some private equity that will own part of Burnley and part of Bordeaux. It might be Bordeaux or a third division Italian outfit. And, and like, does that actually make sense? Or or does it have to be sort of a super club with a network of sort of feeder clubs? I, I don't think it's any of it's good for... I mean, is it good for... It's not good for like competitive integrity, although Seferin is walking that back now. I mean, he, in his interview, I think we talked about it, clearly walking that back because he's hostage to the, the super clubs in Europe. And and so we've got these networks playing networks. Yeah, the competitive integrity and balance really, really skewed there. And then they're you know, doing nothing, either the Premier League, well, overtly doing nothing in the Premier League, and UEFA doing almost nothing when it comes to state ownership and, and all the dangers that that involves. So. I did see someone on Twitter say, I don't think it would destroy the competitive balance if United were owned by Qatar because, and sorry if this sounds like a straw man, because there's always the financial fair play regulations which are coming in. Except United can get the top level sponsorship in every fucking category and they could all have a queue before them and United would suddenly start growing commercial revenue in a way that the Glazers have not managed to do. Despite what it seems like is a pitch to the prospective bidders, which is, look at all the opportunities there are here. Yeah, it's not good, because also you then got the, plus you've got the things that Qatar could just sponsor, as we see with yeah. City. Oh, exactly. Never mind the other sponsorships. It's just Qatar or State Wealth plus United is bad for the competitiveness of football, because yeah. PLC United was bad for the competitiveness of football in some ways, because United's financial might, even then, was just enough for them to be able to pick off a lot of the best players other teams had to go shopping around Europe and just to attract players in a way that other teams couldn't at the time. And 
the upshot was United winning lots of league titles. And it's the point about this is that it's not it's not a partisan point. The best the best leagues that United have won, the ones I've enjoyed the most, all of them have come the year after losing it. I don't want United to win the league every year because if they do, what's the point? You don't. In, you need to lose sometimes for it to be worthwhile when you win. And you want the league to be competitive. You want to be able to believe in what you're seeing. You want what you're seeing to mean something. And the possibility of United plus state wealth means that winning will just mean nothing. And I, I, yeah, I, I don't know personally what I'm going to do should that day come, how that will affect my, not just my relationship to United, but what I'm prepared to, am I... Do we stop? Do I, do, I say, do I stop watching United then? In the ground? Maybe. Well, I, but then it's not just about the feeling. Because I said this last week, like part of it is not, part of my problem with the Glazers is I've started to think now, I'm 44. I haven't gone to Old Trafford regularly since 2005. No one is suffering on account of this apart from me. Am I really going to say, like, let's say the Glazers just carry on. Am I really saying I'm never going to go and watch United at Old Trafford again? I mean, maybe I am, but increasingly it sort of feels like like I'm just punishing myself to gain nothing. Mm. But then if we've got a despotic state involved, then it becomes a slightly different matter of principle. With the Glazers, a matter of principle is not like I'm not paying you. You're not buying United with my money. I'm not helping you get rich off the back of United. But then you're at you had to put a despotic state in the mix. It doesn't really become about that anymore. It becomes about, am I prepared to tacitly consent to what is going on here by attending, by supporting whatever it is? And yeah, I feel like the answer is probably no, but I still then have that same question. What does my not going change? And again, the answer is nothing. But it feels like we're sleepwalking into this situation because no one is really doing anything to stop this. No, no nothing's going to, I think it's clear, actually. I mean, I think Seferin waved the white flag and said nothing's going to stop. The, the Premier League won't stop it. I guess the other clubs could, in theory... The other clubs won't want this. The other clubs that aren't state-owned won't want they, this. They won't, but the problem is there's a tension between the clubs that don't want state-owned wealth coming in and there were many of them who held up the Newcastle bid for a while or attempted to before the Premier League itself basically waved it through and and there are plenty of clubs very angry still about that and a whole raft of clubs including those owned by FSG and the Cronkies and I'm sure the guys who are now at Chelsea clear late because they'll want to get out at some point who are thinking actually we wouldn't mind a state coming in and buying us out at a ridiculous premium. And there's that but tension. Who, who's going to be able to do it at that point? Which which are the states that what? could do it or would do it? Well, maybe a state can own multiple clubs. I mean, who's... who's I, I mean, the UK, the Premier League regulations stop that for now. But UEFA clearly are just giving up on that. So. Well, and what I actually said with seatwalking into it, what I also meant was... There's no, there's no, there's no support. There's no real support of backlash against what might happen. If you think about what happened before the Glazers bought United, there was United not for sale yeah. every game, pretty much. There was I remember people going in late to the West Brom game. I remember in March before the Arsenal game in 0405. Yep, and obviously there was horse racing disrupted. There was people actually doing stuff, yeah. and 
it doesn't really feel now like anyone's doing anything. And that's not criticism because, I mean, I'm sitting here talking about it. Not yeah. Disrupting I mean, horse races. I but, think it's slightly different in that that there's uncertainty of the outcome. Would would there be some kind of protest if Qatar actually confirmed a bid or, a, sorry, a confirmed their bid and, and took over? I, I don't know. I, I kind of, it's really hard to gauge supporter sentiment. Obviously, I moved abroad, so I'm not like regularly at Old Trafford, so I'm not talking to people in the, the way I might do. I get a mailbag full of stuff and there's Twitter, which if you took Twitter, I think probably, given it's a global fan base, there's broad support, actually, because it's the fastest people see this as the fastest route to success, which probably is. We just talked about it, right? State wealth plus United wealth probably is a very fast route to success. So, and and like, I don't know, maybe maybe people can drop me, drop us a line. It, you know, what, what is the feeling at Old Trafford amongst the fans? I suspect, given the kind of walk in the line that some sort of prominent Reds are doing in social media, that there isn't a kind of groundswell of anti-state sentiment. I don't think there is among people that I know. I should also add that in that time you were just talking, Harris Maguire just tried to trademark free header from a corner over the top. Nice. Well done. And that's one of those things, isn't it? Because that's sort of meant to be something he's good at. And yet, how many headers has he scored from corners for United? Hardly any. He's missed some absolutely incredible ones, though. Yeah, yeah. I think because he scored in the World Cup in Russia once, there was this idea that he did that a lot. He just doesn't. He has a terrible record, in fact. So, yeah, I, no, I think you're right. There, there just doesn't seem to be that groundswell. And I, I, I find it I find it depressing in a sense, but it gives me pause for thought for two reasons. So the one is, what does it mean to be a fan if if your club is at all a foreign policy, which is what United would be. And I, I'm trying to find the right words because we use the term sport washing, which is, I think, come to me not enough, right? It, it feels like the reputation part of what is what Qatar have done is co-opting institutions. Yeah, it's power grab. Yeah, it's soft power, it's hard power. It's it's a way of manipulating international institutions. And the in the UK especially, the idea of owning the biggest football club in the biggest competition, as well as being aligned with government on on liquid natural gas imports, makes for a very potent mix, I think. So just take sport washing as a kind of wider term. What does it mean to be a fan of that, where you're a tool of foreign policy in that way? It's not the same thing. But I don't think too many people will ask that question. It's very easy to go, no. Anyway, very easy to ignore it. I got in touch with, there's a Newcastle supporters group called Newcastle Supporters Against Sports Washing. And I'm hoping to get them on the show just to have this conversation. Well, what does it mean? You're pushing back. You you read their timeline. They get a lot of hate from Newcastle supporters who are obviously desperate for some success because they've never had any in the history of the club. What does it mean? And I'll ask them, see how they'll deal with it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 minging, is what it is. There's just, yeah, I can't, I'm, I can't see any good side of it just because United don't even need that. United don't need their money, and we certainly don't need their organisation either, which has not been any use at Paris. If you're gonna look at the way for despotic states to run football clubs, yeah, yeah, Abu right. Dhabi have done a much better job of it than Qatar has. And and by the way, if you want, I mean, this is Erka. Take it with a pinch of salt, but Sheikh Jassim, who's the front man for the Qatari bid, 
I was on the board of Credit Suisse for eight years, who have a major bank that's just gone bust. I, he clearly didn't have day-to-day executive power in, in that role, but doesn't. it's not a great look, is it, for, for his management props? Should we take some questions? We have a mailbag full of nonsense. Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Hi. If one of the Jim Qatar bids goes through, says Hail Red Dot, do you expect the others to go for Liverpool? Which leaves me, uh, which is better, Qatar to buy United and neither bids go through or the Elliot to help the Glazers do a Barcelona and sell off our future? Well, the Qataris buy Liverpool. Doom. Well, that's painting a lovely scenario, isn't it? I, I do think one of the fun things is, and this is really, really desperately petty, but the fact that United are the only game in town and no one's interested in buying Liverpool while United's up for grabs. It's really, really pathetically childish, but I am getting some mild amusement off that. Don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but Liverpool and state wealth is, as the letter writer intimates, not not good, not particularly enticing. No, no. But I don't. I mean, we. I've obviously no idea. I mean, what? But FSG, they've now recently said they're not looking for a total sale; they're looking for investment. Yeah, they. It looks like they backtracked on that because the bids weren't forthcoming. So, yeah. I think the the challenge is in football is the old adage. I mean, if you look, if you look at, if you look at the profitability of the Premier League. Almost nobody is profitable because it's hyper competitive and everyone like fritters away their profitability on signings. Pretty much the only club who's consistently profitable in the Premier League is Tottenham and ask Tottenham fans whether they're kind of happy with that winning that league. So it's very hard to make a profit. The the bet that all these private equity companies are making is that 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 will happen in the future and and some bigger fool will come along and spend even more money on the asset some point down the line which is just not proven. And with FSG, if they're not going to sell the whole lot, who is it that wants a minority stake? It can only be a private equity group who wants to sell it at some later point. Can only be. There isn't going to be some kind of billionaire who wants a 20% stake in FSG to give to give them an exit. Yes. I mean, I guess... Liverpool, I mean, you might have thought Liverpool would be an attractive purchase just because the the work on the ground has been done now, whereas United's ground needs investment. But perhaps, I mean, I don't know, perhaps they're just not capable of pulling up the global numbers that United are or the reach isn't quite the same as United's is, which is why United is favoured even by people who aren't really in it for the money like Qatar. That if you can get your hands on Manchester United, one of the crowd, like that would be like, considered to be the crown jewels of the English game, one of the biggest clubs in world football. And that's not even to denigrate Liverpool, although obviously we should denigrate Liverpool in a minute. They're just on a global and domestic level. Currently, they don't compare to United in terms of reach and pull. Yeah, they don't. They're just Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Liverpool fans. You've had some success on the pitch. Some, some, but yeah, still not as big. Nishank Casey says, why is it that any sort of fan ownership model is almost immediately due deemed farcical or at least it seems it in the comments section of social media i mean to be honest i i was very dismissive of thomas ziliakos's bids he's a finnish entrepreneur was an executive at nokia for a while he's trying to launch a social media platform that is friendly unlike the hellscape that is twitter 
Yeah, but I dismissed it immediately because he's not rich enough. And the idea that you can somehow crowdfund money is very unlikely too. But fan ownership, I mean, it it works at, well, it works. It happens at Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern, Dortmund, Valencia. Valencia? Not Valencia. Athletic Bilbao. There are big clubs. I just don't see it happening at United. So it's it's just too much money to crowdfund in that way. Although I'd happily take any of them. I think just Peter Schmeichel in goals there would make a very significant difference. He would. He would. Every time I see Dave not catching a ball. So it all rooted to his line. Rooted to his line. Trying try yeah. to save things with his feet. Daz Greer says, with several of our younger academy players, Ahmad, Hannibal, Laird, Fernandez, enjoying decent loan spells, who do you think has the best chance of getting significant minutes next season? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Because Hannibal's played a lot for Birmingham in a more withdrawn role, sort of number eight role. I noticed he was playing for Tunisia this weekend. Uh, again, in a more no, sort of number 10 role. There's nice highlights reel on social media I saw. Ahmad's doing really well at Sunderland. I haven't really been following how well Led's doing at QPR. Uh, he did really well at the beginning. Uh, a friend of mine with a QPR season ticket said he was getting to the level... It's yeah. It's also it just requires it requires an overall it requires an overall organisation as well that we're not capable of. And monetizing all these supposed global fans has been hard enough for the club to do. Never mind for fans fan groups to do. And we couldn't do it when a lot less money was required by uh, shareholders United and Must when the Glazers took over. So now the sum that's required is seven billion. Although I guess it is in a more connected world, it's still not going to happen. Yeah. All right. That's enough of the takeover. That James Boy says if you could bring one United player back from Fergie's first league winning side, but you had to erase the player they're replacing, who is it? I was thinking about this one. It's not hard, is it? I mean, you bring Eric back and you erase Valt Vegkost. <laughs> <laughs> so I. I mean, obviously, the answer, the, the obvious answer is Eric, that just that any team would be enhanced by him. But if I was genuinely, if my job was on the line here and I had to do this, I think I would be going for Peter Schmeichel or Paul Lentz, probably, because that's the kind of player I think this team requires. Yeah, although Roy Keane was part of that first league winning side, wasn't he? 93, yeah. No. No, he wasn't. He came that summer, didn't he? Yeah. Summer, summer of 93. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I actually think that Mark Hughes would be a better fit for this team than Eric, as it happens, that he thought we saw when Carl Walker played for a QPR on loan. But uh, he's been injured. Right. And that's been something that has been the case quite a lot through quite a young career. So maybe it'll stop as he grows. But currently, I don't think we can rely on him to stay fit because he hasn't really stayed fit for any serious period of time. I mean, I'd love us to take a chance on Laird as right back because he's got absolutely loads of ability. I've said this before probably, but Jimmy Murphy Jr. told me quite a few years ago now that when United his United youth team went to Liverpool, they all thought, all the Liverpool coaches thought that Laird was the best player in that squad and Mason Greenwood was in that squad and we know how good he was. So Laird has a lot of ability. I, I would be surprised. It's getting to the point where I feel like I'd be surprised if he ended up making it at United because of the fitness. I think that Hannibal was not rated by the previous management as someone who was even really close to being United standards. 
I, I feel like I'm personally in a position to say, well, whether he whether he is or he isn't. But I guess my my fear would be it seems odd that people would get it so wrong. And for Hannibal to make it at United and be a proper United player, that would require people who are much better judges than us to have got it ridiculously wrong. So I'm not massively confident with Hannibal. Ahmad, I'm told, was really good at the beginning of the loan at Sunderland. He's less good since. Mm. I don't think there's room in the squad for him and Palistri. Mm-hmm. So my suspicion would be Palistri stays at United next season and Ahmad gets another loan. Yeah, I agree with that last point. There's there's definitely not room for both of them if you're thinking about a sort of Anthony understudy. Palistri's had some decent game time. He wanted out. Didn't it? I think didn't he? It was pretty well known that he was he was pushing for a, a move out of United. So and he's what a year and a bit older, I think. That might factor in. I mean, United have spent a hell of a lot of money on Ahmad basically for him to never play for the club, which is not not exactly good props for the recruitment department. Greg, I mean, he's got talent, Ahmad. Yeah, he does. He does. I mean, and he but he needs to put it all together. Yeah, he is weak and small. Not that that precludes you from being successful in successful in the Premier League, but it's uh, yeah. Greg Seward, friend in the show, says, "What would you prefer, new stadium or revamped Old Trafford?" But this isn't close for me. I want. I mean, and I'm not the right person to ask really because, as I said, I go to Old Trafford, but Old Trafford reeks of history and it reeks of United. Yeah, and I don't think that there's any need to sacrifice that if we could all get away with it because Old Trafford is a brilliant football ground. Yeah. It is true that there are various seats where your arm where your knees are under your armpit. Yeah, yeah, that's always been the there's case. There's not a yeah. lot of room. I would personally put up with that for what you for what you get for the history of Old Trafford, the sense that you are somewhere important, a sense of continuity. Like Old Trafford's the only place that me and a grandfather I never met frequented. Right. And I'm not saying that'd be a good reason for not mowing it down and building something better. But there are lots of people who have those kinds of stories. Yes. And yeah, I, yeah. Want, I want the Old Trafford at which United play to be the Old Trafford at which the Busby Babes played. And I, yeah, I, I think there's got to be a way of updating it without, have, without turning it into something completely different. And something new doesn't necessarily mean something better. Yeah, and I, I think that's probably where most fans would be as well. That it's like if you look, England played in Naples against Italy. That is a stadium that is properly decrepit. Old Trafford is not that. Uh, obviously, the toilets flood, and there's piss leaking everywhere, and the and the, the the roof leaks now and again, and and it's never been the most comfortable stadium at all. And the roof is awful because it contains the noise, not amplifies it. It was horrible when it went up in '95. That North Stand roof, and it's never, never been good. The sight lines aren't great, so there's many imperfections. I mean, I, I guess it really, what fans want is probably secondary to whatever billionaire it will be investing in, or state will be investing in the club. I'm not it's... sure because I don't think that the, that's not necessarily like a money thing. Like with Tottenham, it's like you have to get rid of an Arsenal. They felt like they had to get rid of their grounds and build something bigger. I think that with United, it probably will be in consultation because the only real point is to make it better for the fans because it will involve a huge amount of expenditure. So I, I actually, I, I do think that should should someone, well, should a new owner be thinking about ch- changing Old Trafford, 
that probably would be done in consultation because otherwise it's just a massive expense without actually consulting with the people that are going to gonna use it in the end. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fair point. I think the the financial equation comes down to like, what's the return on investment? So the depending on what can actually be done with that south stand really makes a big difference as to whether the capacity can be increased and you can reconfigure things like executive seating, which is much more profitable. And although the club deny it, it does doesn't half look like they resell unused tickets as off-site executive seats at a five times the price at the moment. So clearly, like they think there's pent-up demand for executive pricing or executive tickets, and and that's 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 part of the return on investment question. Can you have more boxes? Can you have more executive seating? Can you have more? 60 yard long bars like they have at Spurs as well as the extra capacity either way a new stadium of the kind of size 90,000 plus either redeveloped as an old at Old Trafford or a brand new stadium is going to be in the two billion range for a brand new stadium and the hundreds of millions range for a redevelopment as we've seen at the Bernabeu who've done a really good job and at Camp Nou that will be happening shortly yeah it's very expensive so, it, and as United get better, there is going to be greater demand for executive, yeah. executive facilities, and it does feel like United are at the bottom of an upswing, where that should see them get better and be good for say the next five to ten years. Every single game is sold out this season, so and and it'll probably be the most number of tickets ever sold in a season for United. It's partly because we keep being drawn at home in the cups, but there's there's clearly demand. Demand had ebbed away. Because, because of the Glazers and what they've done and the business model and the lack of success. And, and now it's on the uptick again. Eldon Ted says, please tell me Mason Greenwood isn't coming back. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I haven't got any inside knowledge of this one, but it sure as hell looks like they're on a slow roll to integrating him. Reintegrating it him. to look that way, isn't it? I mean, I feel like we've both said what we have to say on this. Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing new but to say. I mean, for Manchester United is not a right. No, no, no. And now it's a HR question, not a not a legal question. And and that gives you a lot of a, a lot more of a free hand, typically. But yeah, it looks like it looks like he's on the way back. And he's I hit. hate to say it, but it feels like our only way out of this is the players or the manager. And it doesn't look like the manager's going to do anything because he probably wants like him. Yeah. If he, yeah, because if he was going to do something, it, I don't think we it would feel this far along into some sort of reintegration process. No, I think it would have been fairly clear that he had said no, absolutely not. So he said he was quite. I mean, I know what he was. I know, I know what Mason Green was done feels a lot worse than what Mark Overmars did, but he was quite happy. He said he was quite happy ten hours to go and work with Mark Overmars again just after he got the boot from Ajax for being improper. And I know, as I said, what Greenwood's done is worse. So that the hope was that he would do the right thing, not that he's not the thing that improves United's chances of success. But our only way out of this, then, if we're saying that we think the manager's probably made the call, which feels like he has, the only way out of this is the players saying we're not going to play with him. He's a scumbag. Yeah, and, and normally players don't stick their head above the parapet like that. I do wonder what the women's team feel about this. I know under the Glaciers, they're an afterthought, doing very well, won 4-0 yesterday. Top of the league. Top right, of the league, yeah. So then City, City beat Chelsea subsequently, 
which means that United are in a really good position to try and win the league from here. Because are, I think, oh, City playing Arsenal next week. Yeah, United are going to play City and Chelsea still this season. Oh, no, sorry, City and Arsenal. So they've lost the two games this season, both to Chelsea, who are, who have been the superior women's side for some years now. But yeah, um, back to yeah, back to Greenwood. I, 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 yeah, I mean, it must be horrific. Having, like, it's not like we can unsee or hear what we see, saw, and heard. There may, may not be enough evidence to make a prosecution, but yeah, that is not the decision on the table now. So. I guess the point. That you that might be argued is if the girl in question has forgiven him, then you could argue that it's none of our business. Uh, I can't, I can't argue that myself. No, I, I can't. That, and uh, abused woman goes back to abuser is a story as old as time as well. So. Uh, and I'm not saying that is what's happening. And like, we don't know. Like, it's very hard to know the insider relationship anyway, isn't it? And it's not in the sense that it's not our business. But that audio, I still heard it. I still saw those pictures. So for me, it's not good. And allowing someone like Mason Greenwood to play for a United side that is owned by a misogynist, a misogynist state. Yep that discriminates against women routinely yep. is just some of the grimmest shit imaginable. Yep. Yeah, it is. Really is. And, I mean, I felt like this when Ronaldo was playing for United and Ronaldo scored. Yep. And I thought, well, I'm sort of pleased United have scored, but I'm not joining in with Viva Ronaldo because it just... I can't. Yeah. I... No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I found that very... Very disconcerting. I... The ability to be good at football does not obscure the ability to be an absolutely revolting human being. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Paul Harrison says, if Everton the dock points this year, which they may well be, they're unsurprisingly being investigated for FFP breaches or profit and sustainability breaches. How many divisions should City be relegated? Yeah, as many as possible. That could take a long time with the city, but yes, more than a hundred accusations, which is quite an astonishing document if you ever got the chance to to read it. Very forensic, and uh, yeah, they should be relegated every single division, and maybe they should start in the Northern Premier League alongside FC United. That would make for a nice derby, wouldn't it? Yes. Mark Gallagher says, "How much of a mentality midget is Harry Maguire?" Asked and answered, but yes, he is. Very much a midget. And friend of the show, resident Scouse listener, says, if you ever got to play for United, what squad number would you wear and why? I think I would go for number 613. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, so uh, 613 is uh, the number of commandments that are in the Bible. And I feel like if I'm going to be one of the only Jews ever to have played for United... There was a guy, I think John, it was Jonathan Spector meant to be Jewish. And there was a guy called Moshe Sinai who played some preseason friendlies in 85, 86 in Israeli. <laughs> didn't, didn't get kept. But if I'm going to be one of the only Jews, perhaps the only Jew ever to play for United, then I am having something Jewish on my back. So <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm doing. All right. I, you see, I, I, I looked at this question and I thought, I couldn't pick 10 or 7 because that's very arrogant, isn't it? I was not very good right back playing for a well, keeper for a bit. Wasn't very good at that either. 
So I, I guess it's going to be number two because Gary Neville made it at United. He played several hundred games despite being not the least talented brother. So hey, maybe I could do it too. It's very unlikely. So you're going to, you're going to be a number, England's number two. That's an yeah, interesting talk. That's, that's, that's an interesting <laughs> chance. <laughs> okay. I think that's it for this week. We'll leave this nonsense here. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Catch you on the catch you on the upswing of this international break, everyone. Enjoy it. And we'll speak to you soon. Please. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe.